0: If we go to the scripture reading this morning, what you will find is, this is similar to last week, although this is Jesus putting in the words from Isaiah 61 of setting at liberty those who are oppressed and loving others into action on many, many levels. Look at how and where and what he does in the midst of this.
1: From the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 through 37. That evening, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. Holy Word, Holy Wisdom.
0: And when he left them, they said to him, Everyone is hunting for you. Everyone is searching for you. Please keep those words in mind as I preach. Donald Trump. Amen. Donald Trump, of course, leads this list. And we better add Chris Christie standing alongside. And by the way, I'm going to stick very closely to my notes this morning, otherwise, I will get off on tangents. The Uber versus taxi crisis, Bernie Sanders, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, Hillary Clinton, transgendered bathrooms, the ethics around the election of the new University of Washington president, ISIS, immigration and the building of walls, gun control and gun violence. How about Marco Rubio? Or how about the debate between climate change and whether that's global warming? How about Ted Cruz? Or power lines moving through Newcastle and up toward and through other regions? Or even how about the building of a sidewalk on Newport Way to protect our children and our youth? There is Dr. Ben Carson and his new job. We can look at Jeb Bush and the $125 million spent on a failed campaign. Governor John Kasich trying to stay relevant. How about Reverend Mark Driscoll of the now defunct Mars Hill now being brought up on racketeering charges? Or Catholic priests and the abuses now being, new ones now being uncovered in Pennsylvania? Or how about police ethics and the use of force including the shooting of black suspects? Are you overwhelmed yet? These are but 25 of the things confronting us today, locally, nationally, and internationally. Unless we don't go on the Internet, don't watch the news, don't listen to the radio, don't read the papers, and are so insulated that we have no idea what's going on, these are the issues that are currently surrounding us every day. But I could throw in a few more. How about Bertha? (laughs) Bertha. inches, Bertha, or all you have to do is drive around this neighborhood and what you will see is the mansionization of South Bellevue. We have a changing demographic that surrounds us and so much more, so what are we to do? Maybe more importantly, what is the role of the church in any of these? And maybe the most important question, and there's a question that I ask my classes every single Wednesday morning and Wednesday evening is where is Jesus in any of this? It's a lot to me like the books a number of years ago, Where's Waldo? Remember Where's Waldo? It took a lot of effort and concentration to kind of find where Waldo was. And that is to some extent where we may be in churches today. But again, where is the church in any of this? Friends, I know that at Aldersgate we do a lot for homelessness, and that's a really good thing. And there are other things in which we are involved. We we feed, we clothe, we have the potential to house, we support, we give time and money, and it is a cause worth our focus, at least part of our focus. But in many ways, it's the easiest of what I've just listed. I didn't include it on the list there just because we're doing so much it right now, but there is always more that can be done. But what about everything else on that list? Unless you live in a hole somewhere, you are aware that we have a presidential campaign coming up in November. We have other political events taking place around us. We have other issues like the power lines that face many of us along that proposed route or what the police are doing in our response to global warming and climate change. So I thought a good place to begin, what I want to explore this morning, is to begin with Donald Trump. Now, I see you squirming. That's not on my notes, because I really do. Don't get overly uncomfortable, at least not yet. I will not be asking you to specifically vote for or not vote for any one of the folks I listed, but I need to talk about Donald a little bit. What I want to talk about is it's all about messaging. Donald Trump has done more to polarize this election, this country and the world than anyone that I can remember at least in my lifetime. And as you are aware, I spent a lot of years on the Hill in Washington DC and I have never seen anything like this. Donald Trump has made inflammatory statements about just about everybody everywhere and around almost everything. He has responded to criticism with attacks against character. He has responded to questions with cynicism. He has responded to disagreements with caustic remarks. But here's what else he's done. And we had a professor, a senior professor, just retired from Seattle U, who taught political science sitting in the congregation this morning. They're new to the church and are going to be joining. And I looked at Richard and I said, "This, this piece is for you. He has made the entirety of this presidential race about him. In a purely political sense, that tactic is working and to some extent is brilliant. Everyone on both sides of the aisle are not talking as much about issues, records or races as they are about Trump, think about it. And the additional piece of all of this is that instead of focusing on his record or where he really stands, the focus has been on his character see or hear Mitt Romney's speech from last Thursday. The outcome is that he is winning, and I get yesterday's caucuses that he didn't win every state, but those are so small. He is winning in most states, and particularly in some of the most rural, uneducated, and even poorest communities, and there is a reason for that, and I'll get to that in just a second. Part of the reason is that he is promising them that the fears that they have felt for years And the experiences they've had are not only real, but are in need of dramatic responses. And he'll respond, and does in a language they understand. Who else in the campaign is promising any of that? Who else is communicating like that? It's made me sit back and examine very carefully our message. As Christians, and even as a church, and even as the church. But here's more. Many of you know that I love to study, I love to read, and I read across all kinds of lines. The last polls and research that I read around how people vote for anyone, particularly for the president, has nothing to do with records, nothing to do with sounds or stands or policies, nothing to do with political issues. Most don't study the issues. Most don't search the backgrounds. Most don't spend any time away from things like the debates and their televisions trying to figure out who would be the best candidate for the country. The main focus for most of our beloved country is who will be best best for me. Who will be best for me? Here's what I found in a nutshell. This is what many of this population says. Donald Trump is a fighter, not a politician. I want a fighter, not a politician. Donald Trump speaks his mind. I wanna speak my mind, but I can't. No one will listen. So Donald speaks my mind. Donald Trump is powerful. Donald Trump, Trump is living the American dream. I want what he has, not so much about the money, but about the ability, the power, the attitude, and the courage to do what he is doing, and to say what he is saying. Donald Trump understands me and really wants to help me. Therefore, I will vote for Donald Trump. And friends, it really is as simple as that. One of the newest studies to come out of, of social, sociology and science is what's called authoritarianism. And there are some who believe that authoritarianism will be the next political party. Here's what authoritarianism is. And we've seen it in churches. Authoritarianism deals specifically with the fears of a specific population. Authoritarianism says, I have the answer to that population. And I will rescue you from that, whatever that is. I will lift you up, and I will set you up, and I will be the Savior that you need me to be. And he does it with, or she does it, with authority, with drama, with the kind of verbiage that is clearly understood, and we are in that time right now. We are. And it's a scary time. But I believe there are answers for this. So let's look at those for just a moment. Last week I preached on the reading of Isaiah 61, the set at liberty those who are oppressed scripture. It was Jesus speaking in his own synagogue. How did Jesus know to read that scripture? How would Jesus have known about the history of how and why and who wrote that? Think about it. Out of the entirety of the Old Testament, why would he choose that? It was four verses. Four verses. Might he have understood his history better than some of those gathered at church that morning? Might he have prayed while fasting in the desert for something that would both ground and guide his work, something that he could very literally carry with him in his heart as he prepared to do that work? Might Luke, the author of that gospel, have known enough about Jesus to know that it was that scripture that best defined him? And if, in fact, we are followers of Jesus... Are we not asked to do the same? To study, to pray, and then to act. And acting is the response of our call. So let me ask you a couple questions. Do you know the political and financial and health ramifications of the power lines coming through our neighborhoods? Have you studied that? We need to. Do you know what lay beneath the responses that by the black community, at least small pieces of the black community around the whole Black Lives Matter movement, and that there are no less than 30 different organizations, some of whom are exceptionally and extremely violent, who are now utilizing that symbol, those words, and the ensuing actions as their mantra? Or do you know what police forces go through every day. It was interesting, in the middle of the sermon, a member of the police force, he's one of our drummers for first service walked in. It's amazing what they go through every day. Many of you know my background. International drug abuse and drug violence. And what I've seen, no one should ever have to see or deal with. Or do we even know what it is, excessive force, that, that we see on the news often. How about immigration? I know that we have differing stands on men- much of this in this congregation, but what I'm asking you to do is spend time with any, if please choose to spend time with an illegal immigrant, enough to hear their story. And I have to insert here I met Pablo as we did a fact-finding mission a number of years ago, and it was about 15 of us who went to Arizona to see what was happening there. And we watched as Pablo, a 16-year-old boy, who had crossed the border illegally, heading to the north to try and save the lives of his family, his five siblings, and his parents who basically were starving to death. He was looking for work, he was found, he was arrested, And instead of being shipped back across the border there, they drove him 300 miles to Arizona, tried him, convicted him, sent him back across the border (coughs) in a bus, and just turned him loose. No money, no hope, completely lost, and that's where I met him, in Nogales, Mexico. And we sat together with an interpreter, and I heard his story. And we tried to get him to a safe house. Tried to get him to a safe house, because what happens is the drug lords wait for those buses. And immediately when those young men, particularly young men, come off those buses, they engage them, they pay them, they hire them, and they threaten them. Immigration is a complex issue no matter where you stand. But I'm asking you to hear their stories. Or have you talked with any business owners who, who hire them? How about the $15 minimum wage? Where are you on that issue? And I'm asking all of this for a reason. As followers of Jesus, and if we really do what we want to do as followers and see ourselves like him, it means we seek to do what he did. And what did he do? He had a crystal clear message and taught in a way that helped people understand that message, even respond to that message. How? How? He knew the populations that surrounded him. He spent time with them, talked with them, healed them, ate with them, learned from them, and then, after that, prayed around them and then responded. He was deeply familiar with the abuses of those who were oppressing them, how he studied them. He knew the scriptures enough to be able to quote them. He spent time in the temple learning about what that was, and then figured out what was necessary, and after praying, Responded. And one of those responses was turning the tables over in the temple, seeking to create something more and something different. Without exception, he studied, he prayed, he sought help and strength, and only then did he take action. And it was only then that the actions he took could have the potential to change lives, and not only change lives, friends, but transform society, and we are living in that. Today, no matter where you stand politically, no matter what you believe, that's where we are today. And we are being called to take stands and to respond with actions to those things that are going on around us. We are called to be transformational. The God he followed would not allow him to do any less. And again, the same goes for us. So what is the role of the church this church, any church, in this time. To some extent, it falls into two somewhat distinctive categories, and that's the title of the sermon this morning. The first is as a sanctuary. But here's the deal. Not a sanctuary as in a place that provides protection like a bird sanctuary. It is a sanctuary that provides rest, recuperation, recovery, inspiration, and motivation so that we can have courage and confidence to take on what we are called to take on. It is a place where teaching and healing and prayer and worship happens. It's a place where a community provides support, relationships, and love, and ultimately it cannot be a place and should never be a place that becomes insulated from the things going on around us. Ever, ever should be that place. Jesus was a man of action, but even Jesus needed time of rest and respite and recovery. So do we, and thus this sanctuary. But after leaving here, we then head back into the world to bring good news. But if we are to bring good news, it means that we ourselves would have had to have experienced some of that good news. We need to have a story to share and many of those stories come out of the responses that we give to those places of need in and around our communities but also there's one more piece and over the last number of weeks I've shared with you the five basic elements that I think are the foundational pieces of Jesus and his ministry teaching, healing, praying building community and not or And confronting. Confronting. But confrontation should never, ever, ever happen without being preceded by study, information, and prayer. The danger is often we get stuck in the study, and action doesn't proceed from it. So here's what I'm asking of you it's Lent. But even beyond land, I'm asking that we intentionally commit ourselves to studying the situations that surround us, that we prayerfully talk about them, that we spend time in personal prayer and personal piety and spiritual, personal spiritual disciplines, asking God what God needs from us. Then, once done, we move out and take action. All of us. Not just a few of us. All of us. And here's the deal. We may not all agree on the actions that need to be taken. And guess what? There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. As long as, as we have studied those situations, we take on the actions. The world is big enough that we can disagree on what some of those can be. But what the world can't handle right now is inaction from anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. We can't, especially right now. But I'm asking you that instead of just giving in to what our heads tell us or what the television seems to scream at us, might there be things that become best for God, God's creation, God's people, and the world that God created? It is in the combination of study and prayer and actions we take personally that God works best corporately I want to say that one more time it is in the combination of us studying and praying and taking actions personally that God works in and through us best corporately so please friends study read ask talk Share, disagree, agree, but please don't get stuck there. Take action, and here's the other deal that I am going to push hard on between now and November. Vote. Vote. If you're not voting, I don't want to hear from you about the complaints that we might have over whoever these candidates are. Voting is a God-given right and an incredible responsibility that we have and I will tell you, as we have, as Christians living in the United States, we must vote, and vote our conscious conscience, vote our heart, but with intelligence, with study. Please vote. And what is the lens through which we need to vote? Go back and read again. Isaiah 61, those first four or five or six verses. Or Luke 4, where Jesus is preaching in his own synagogue. That is the lens through which we as Christians see the world. It is the lens through which we as Christians see the world. It is what this table is all about. I want you to think again about this table. This table is all about remembrance. It's all about remembrance. It's about remembering Jesus. Remembering the actions that Jesus took. Remembering the prayer and the study. Remembering the sacrifice that was his life. And what does he say? Go and do that